Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. We went on a trip, guys. We went to Nashville, Tennessee. Road tripping sort of stirred up some stuff for us. Yeah, Um, we had thoughts. (laughs) Thoughts, and we were surrounded by people, and that was a thing. And so we have some thoughts about being around people and also some things that we were talking about kind of stirred up other thoughts we want to share with you. So these are thoughts from our road trip to Nashville. Yeah. First of all, and I think this will, this would affect people as they start out on tours or working more conferences or conventions or going to more shows is it was weird being around so many people. Uh, especially in public places like Nashville is full of places where there are people making glorious music. So all those places and, and on the streets. And I got a little overwhelmed a few times with just, just how different it was from everything. And, and I've been doing shows for, for months now, but they've been shows with limited capacity. So this density of people and noise was, was surprisingly overwhelming to me. (laughs) And I had a similar experience, and I was trying to figure out why. In fact, we talked about this a few days ago, Danielle and I did, and I I really struggled to figure out why I eventually felt uncomfortable among so many people, because I've been to a capacity outdoor soccer match here in, in Phoenix, and I went to an Arizona Diamondbacks versus LA Dodgers game, which was like a Dodgers home game. It was 30,000 Dodgers fans and you know, about half a dozen Diamondbacks fans here in Phoenix. So I've been in places that are pretty full and no one's wearing face coverings. And the only conclusion that I could reach about why I eventually felt uncomfortable around a lot of people in Nashville is that it was the combination of a lot of people indoors and I didn't know who they were or what sort of environment they were coming from. And even that's not especially logical because I'm not giving a ton of credit to my fellow Arizonans. You know, there are a lot of non-vaccinated people here too. We're not leading the nation in vaccinations by a long shot. But I think it was, I was among people and it was an unfamiliar environment. That was really the the variable yeah. that changed. Exactly. Um, and as I was thinking about that more, and um, as we record this at the end of July, the Delta variant is definitely on an uptick. So there are communities reacting to that across the country. LA has indoor mask mandates. Uh, I believe St. Louis County instituted, the, you know, this, so there's, there's a variation. There has been variation this entire time. Um, in terms of what the rules are and have to imagine that if you're trying to plan an event that you're going to have to be cognizant of if it's traveling that you're going to have different rules in different places and you're going to have to plan for that Um, but even if you're in one place that the rules may be different by the time you get to your event I just think that's that's just going to be a lot to consider as we continue to have live events again. Yeah, and and if you are planning an event someplace other than your home city and you need to hire local crew, you have to not only be flexible because things will change over time, 
but things will change depending on where you are. Attitudes are radically different from one state or city to another. Mm -hmm. And so you may come from someplace that has, you know, one set of values about face coverings or vaccination. But if you're traveling to someplace else, the perception of those two issues, the risk tolerance for those issues may be significantly different. So, you know, so, as you- Again, it's a lot to juggle. It, it is a lot to juggle. And, you know, we like the idea of planning because planning allows you to lay down what we sometimes think of as rules, but especially now, and, and God, I hate talking about COVID. I'm so <laughs> tired of it. But especially now in the life cycle of the pandemic that, you know, Rasputin-like seems to not want to die, it, it's really going to be important for us to continue to pay attention to the latest public health information, to check in with the boots on the ground, wherever the ground is that you're going, so that you can adapt your plans for the time and place when you need to do something. Because the one thing that's certain, I think, is it's not going to be exactly like today. Which hopefully we're just going to continue, things continue to get better. But, you know, if I'm reading the tea leaves, I'm a little more skeptical than that. So we were in Nashville and, and in Nashville in person. And it was amazing to see well, Steve, it was amazing to see you in person. It was amazing to see all, of, all these friends that I had literally have not seen in almost two years. And why were we there, Steve? Well, we were there um, because Danielle and I were co-presenting uh, for Summer NAM, And it was terrific to be on a trade show floor with you know yep. people playing musical instruments in the background and showing their wares and people in, in conference rooms of various sizes. And that was all cool. That was great. I was like, look, event professionals of all different kinds in one place again. This is great. Yeah, you know, random unscheduled conversations about interesting things that we care about. Yep. And we didn't have to look at people through a video screen. That was neat. That was really cool. I was like, wow, they're selling that gear and I can actually touch it. That's amazing. So one of the things that has seemed pretty endemic in the industry right now is there is less labor supply than there is labor demand. So at Summer NAM, one of the things we did is we got to speak to a group of people through a program called Road Ready, it was put on by both ESA and Showmakers and Summer NAM, where it was specifically helping these people figure out a, if they want to go on the road in event production, and B, how to do it. So here was a really interesting thing. As Steve and I were presenting, we got to the point where we kind of looked at each other like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, uh, I explain. <laughs> we're, we're like the couple that never has disagreements. And to, to our astonishment, we found right. out that mid-presentation, we had a disagreement. We were speaking it, at cross purposes. What? <laughs> Turns out, like every happy couple, we weren't actually disagreeing. We were just coming at a situation from different perspectives. And we realized this is important to us. 
And so we want to, for you podcast listeners, since you may not have been in Nashville with us, we want to kind of lay out the story, you know, tease out what we said, which brings you our different perspectives, and then get to the point, which is a constructive conclusion to a story that starts out in a way that, frankly, we both find annoying. Um, Yeah. So, Danielle, let's play out the story. Sure. So, you know, here's here's your trigger warning. We will be discussing active shooter, um, not in any specificity. Uh, And that is how we started that presentation as well. And we, and it was me, I was the one saying, it's like, you know, be aware that in a life-threatening emergency, that your body will react to that stress so that it is harder to make decisions, it is harder to have fine muscle muscle control. Um, And at that point, I think, and this is my biggest mistake, is I think I used the word panic and um, that tunnel vision thing. And Steve looked at me and said, I'm going to disagree with you. And he had this, guys, he had this expression of incredulity on his face, like, disagreeing with you, what? But all right, take up the story. So there is a fair body of literature and and has been for at least 20 years um, in which social scientists studying people's disaster responses, so how they have behaved in various catastrophes in public places, social scientists have studied what do people do? And to ask what do people do is to feed in more than actually was observed because the first thing that is observed is people do not actually do much of anything. In fact, the response in air quotes, the first response to many people, the majority of observed people in a whole variety of historical disaster circumstances, the first response of most people was to do pretty much nothing, a phenomenon that has been called milling, um, literally to mill around your desk, um, your work area, to sort of walk around in circles looking at familiar objects and not recognize them and recognize them as things that one should do something with them. Um, these, These legs attached to your torso, what should I do with those? Should I walk somewhere? If so, where? Should I run? Should I walk? Um, who should I bring with me, if anyone? And so the almost endless variety of choices in an unfamiliar and frightening circumstance, studies have revealed, um, yields paralysis, too many choices. And we we talk about this a lot when we're talking about crowd management, about how 80% of your crowd is going to wait for someone to give them more direction. 10% is going to take initiative and 10% is going to not respond in any positive way at all. Uh, And guys, I knew that. (laughs) To be very clear, I did know all that. But what I was talking about was more a mental milling uh, because uh, if you in your your life experience have ever had a thing where you were in a car accident or someone you loved was injured or hurt and you were the one that was supposed to get out your cell phone, a thing that you touch every six minutes or less, and call emergency services. You stare at the darn thing and try to figure out how it works. And 
almost everyone listening is very familiar with how your phone works, but it's that same thing. It's your brain not quite having this fine motor skills and decision-making that it normally does. And one of the things we do to counter that is we practice so that in that moment you can snap yourself out of it just, just a beat faster than, than most people because it's a natural physical reaction to a stressor. So that was, so afterwards when Steve and I were talking about this, we're like, oh, right. It's, that's actually the same thing. <laughs> it, it, and, it is the same thing. And since in an emergency, if you're on a stage crew, you may be responsible for reacting in these types of emergencies. So we are talking about, you know, the, the, the bumper sticker is run, hide, fight. And, <laughs> and Steve's making faces. Uh, and, and that is really tricky in our environment most of the time. It's hard to run when you're basically in a big fishbowl. There are very few places to hide in an auditorium or on a show floor or, you know, in, in an outside field. Um, you know, a lot of the places we work. It's, and, and of course, fighting is your last resort. It's not where you want to start the conversation. So going back to like the people that have tasks, if you're in control of the lights, you need to turn them on. Well, that means that you need to break out of that mental milling to get the lights on. <laughs> and if you're uh, in charge of audio, you know, cutting the feed to the show and making sure that the voice of God microphone is hot. And if it's your job to make the announcement, emergency, please exit, or whatever your words are. Again, practicing those things so that you can react um, basically against, against that milling instinct. So I, I referenced that this starts out from a conversation that we find annoying, and that is active shooter training. Um, first of all, that's not what it is. It's active shooter response training. Um, we're not training people to be active shooters. So I, I hate misnomers. And, you know, this one starts from a misnomer and gets worse from there. So with all active shooter response training, you know, thanks to our well-intentioned federal government, we have a three-part directive. It is run, hide, fight in that order. There are a number of problems with that, which is why I find it annoying. Among the problems with run, hide, fight are, again, most people don't run very well. Instead, they mill around as their first instinct. And then pursuant to what Danielle referenced, what's called the 10-80-10 the rule. It's not a rule, it's a theory. Um, but it's basically your usual bell-shaped curve. And 10% of people fairly quickly recognize some stimulus as being threatening and then decisively spring into action. That's 10%. And hopefully podcast listeners, you will be part of that 10% because you're a professional and can be trained, which we will come back to. 80% of people, well, they're the ones who are milling around because they're scared and there's something unfamiliar. That's okay because it turns out that, again, it has been studied and proven true People are good sheep. Sheep are good animals. They're, they're good for things other than just making sweaters. And they're very good followers. So human beings are good followers. My fire alarm's going off and I have to 
exit? I have to exit now. Okay. So come back when you're able to. Okay. And, yep. Just leave it hot. We're fine. Sorry for the intermission. <laughs> so, so podcast listeners, this is actually, you know, it, it is life imitating art because we were talking about situational awareness. I had not actually used those words yet, but now we have an actual real life demonstration because we had just talked about the 10-80-10 rule. Remember, 10% of people can be relied upon to quickly perceive whatever is the unusual and potentially frightening situation and then respond decisively to it. 80% of people are good sheep. They follow direction, but they can't lead themselves. And then 10%, which we didn't talk about, the remaining 10%, those are the people you see on TV, you know, running around hair on fire type people. Or, or then, down with terror in their eyes. It's like the two extremes. Yeah. So what Danielle just did is demonstrate that she is in the first 10%, the 10% who, as a result of training and some sense of level-headedness, responds correctly to perceive what the situation is. She heard an alarm bell. You might have heard it, podcast listener. Um, and then she acted decisively to deal with it. You know, you picked up your keys, you turned on lights in the hallway, you know, you unlocked doors that were supposed to be unlocked. Not yeah. everybody, not every patron can be taught to do that. It's not realistic to expect that they can. And but honestly, the, they shouldn't. Their, their job at that time is to clear. To clear, to follow instruction. Yep. So where this whole conversation was going, because we were starting to talk about active shooters and why it's annoying, because not everyone can be taught to run or hide or fight. That's not realistic. We don't have the time to teach them and they don't give us their attention to go through active shooter training. But there is something that everyone can do with no training at all. Follow. Follow. Follow yeah. instructions. And I will say the only reason that I react that way is because I have trained myself to react that way. There's nothing magic about me. I'm just as likely to mill around as the next person if I didn't know what to do and what to grab. And, you know, so, so you know, I don't want to just, it's not me. It's anyone can do it with practice and training. And that brings us to the next related point. These are things that we talked about in the wake of our, you know, mild, you know, partner disagreement in Nashville. This concept that we're talking about, which makes Danielle modestly say, I'm not special, I'm trained, is part of situational awareness. So let's briefly talk about what that term really means, because much like active shooter training, which is really active shooter response training, situational awareness is used in a way which is precisely the opposite of what it actually means, and that's unfortunate. Situational awareness does not mean that everyone can be aware of their entire situation all the time. See something, say something? I don't think so. We don't actually do that very well. 
Um, I have clients who are security guards and they're taught, have your head on a swivel. Podcast listeners, try it. You can do it right now because this is audio. Try putting your head on a swivel, just you know, gently from the right to the left and then back. If you're driving, the... please don't do that. Yeah, don't do this if you're in your car. <laughs> um, but if you're not operating heavy equipment or making important financial decisions, try it. <laughs> and, and you'll realize you cannot maintain any focus whatsoever. The whole idea of head on a swivel is it's a euphemism for pay attention, but our brains don't do that. They don't pay attention to all input equally. Um, well, because we would never be able to do anything. That's right. too much input. Right, and this is you know, uh oh, you're you're gonna hear some science from a, science. a lawyer and a and a theater manager, but this is part of our reticular activating system. Your reticular activating system is a part of the human brain. Everyone has one. And it's basically just the filter that allows us to process information we care about and not get bogged down in information we don't care about. This is basic human psychology. That, that's how it manifests itself. It allows us to not pay attention to stuff that we don't care about. The practical effect of that is we don't see something say something when we go through an airport. We don't notice suspicious packages. Why? Because we're looking for our gate. We're looking for our gate or our bathroom or- Or snack. Or snack <laughs> or something that we do care about. And we will walk past all sorts of bizarre hazardous things because we're not paying attention. Right. And at a show, we specifically make it so that your audience, whoever they are and whatever they're doing, we work really hard to make sure that you're only paying attention to what we want you to pay attention to. Right. We control the lighting and the sound and all the stimulus. We put it on front of you, not behind you, not to the side of you. You know, so, so really we are controlling your awareness in that moment. That's the whole point of the experience. That's precisely the point of the experience. As people involved in the arts and, and sports and corporate events, we all do the same thing. We maximize your attention in one place, which has the effect of minimizing it, basically turning off your mental lights every place else. Why do people not know where the exits are? I mean, this is something that I see all the time in my cases where there's a crowd evacuation. And uniformly, there will be witnesses who say, I had no idea where the exits were. And then, you know, we can walk them through their path and point out how many exit signs they passed. And they have no idea. They're dumbstruck. I walked past this many exits. They had no clue. Why? Because they weren't looking for an exit when they were walking into the building. And they're in looking fact, for their seat. They're looking for their seat, or they're looking for the concession stand, or they're oh, looking gosh. for their friend, whether it's a current friend or a prospective new friend, but they're <laughs> looking for things that are specific to their situation. And, and so, if you're running a show, it's still the same thing. If you are in charge of video, you're paying attention to your situation, which is running video. So you're probably not aware of what's going on in the lobby or on the, the causeway or wherever. You know, again, the type of venue doesn't matter. You're not. And it's not reasonable to assume 
that you would be aware of all of those things. It is reasonable to assume that you react accordingly when you're provided with new information. Which brings us to what situational awareness actually is. It is not that you have your head on a swivel. It is not that you are going to see something and then say something. We all know that does not happen often. Rather, your awareness is a function of the situation that you're in. So if you are a guest looking for your reserved seat, your awareness is going to be a function of that situation. You're not going to see other things because you're looking with almost laser-like focus for the one thing you care about at that moment. And that's really important. That's why you don't notice all sorts of strange unattended packages and you know at different gates in the airport because you don't care about those things. Your awareness is a function of your situation. That underscores, and I promised you there was a constructive point to this conversation, that underscores the constructive point that Danielle and I reached back in Nashville. Remember Nashville? That's what we were that talking about. That was a long about. time ago. We were talking it was a about long Nashville. time ago. <laughs> but we were talking about things that people could do, that they could be taught with a minimum of effort, that played to their strengths, the things that they were naturally working on every day anyway. And they could be taught to do those things in any emergency. Remember, I hate talking about active shooter training for a lot of reasons. It's too narrow. An evacuation is an evacuation is an evacuation. And basically, the same techniques will be valuable to mitigate the risk of harm in pretty much any evacuation, whether it's for an active shooter or a power outage or you know, a fire alarm like Danielle just had during this recording, almost anything. I swear I didn't pull it. I was on mic at the time. <laughs> and, and the record will reflect that. And the record so, will reflect that. <laughs> so what, what we think is really the important takeaway is in order to fit yourself, podcast listener, into the 10%, the good 10%, which can quickly recognize a situation as one which requires your intervention, and then further can you know, almost automatically click, impel you to take action, a simple action that you do every day anyway. In order to do that, it doesn't take a whole lot. Can't be a complicated action, but it can be one which plays to the thing that you do all the time anyway. So if you're a lighting person, find the lights, turn them on. If you're an audio person, kill the mics on stage, light up the voice of God mic. If you're a security person, move the turnstiles. If there are turnstiles, get the gates open. You know, the list is long, but the point is these are simple actions that for these particular professionals, they're doing them every day anyway. And because they have this muscle memory, just like Danielle did, picks up her keys, picks up her, you know, whatever else you picked up for your phone, right? Mm -hmm. Two things, phone and keys. It's yep. all she needed. Because she had that muscle memory, she was able to accomplish those things and remember both of them. And 
if it is a simple task, people who do that simple task every day can be taught to do it in an emergency. Yep. These to overcome the milling instinct that we that we started all this with. So um, you see how this conversation comes <laughs> full circle. We actually agreed, but we had to work through the science, the both the social science and the the human anatomy, the brain science to get to the point where we could unpack why does Ronheit fight suck and it's just mentally unsatisfying because it's an evacuation and all evacuations work more or less the same. And significantly, the solution to that is a correct understanding of situational awareness. It's not see something, say something. It's that our awareness is constrained by our situation, but that also affords an opportunity to get people to do the simple tasks that they do every day anyway and have them do that in an evacuation. Yeah. So that was the full circle of that our That was a full circle. And the, the corollary to that was to make sure, and this is especially true for people who work in multiple venues or who travel or you know, you're a production company, so you're loading in gear, you're running a show, you're loading it out, that you know where the exits are, not just the one you came in, but as you're moving through the facility, as you're going to the production office, as you're going to front of house, as you're going to the truck, that you're making an actual note of where all those exit signs really are so that you're training your brain in a moment of milling to re-identify some possible ways out in case you are nowhere near the one you are most familiar with. And this is something that uh, training is extremely helpful on, even if the training is as you work through your day. And I'll give you a fun exercise podcast, listeners. So next time you go to, well, really any event, um, I have done this on Greenfield festivals for several years now. The exercise is walk around the site and wherever an exit sign is not as prominent as a beer sign, or some other sign advertising something that does not contribute to life safety, point it out to someone in charge and just see how many times you have occasion to do that. Um, and then, because we are big fans of constructive solutions, offer a constructive solution. How could that be better? Um, so uh, I'll give you an example. I was on a festival site a couple of years ago, back when there were festivals, and several of the exit signs were placed considerably lower than signs for various beverages. And that was problematic. The exit signs could not be raised. They were attached to fence line um, and they were quite large, but there was stuff in front of them. The solution moved the stuff because the exit signs were just fine where they were placed, but there needed to not be stuff in front of them. One other solution was, I'm a big fan of illumination. Um, I like lighting. I think it's fun and tends to draw attention to itself. Um, there were air stars, these nice you know, globes that have lights inside. And any air star that did not have you know, either the word exit or something like that was a missed opportunity. So I suggested that too. These help counteract what we as event professionals intentionally do, which is we draw people's 
attention, their awareness towards the stage, towards the seating area, for back of house people, towards their particular workstation. We do that intentionally. Therefore, it becomes incumbent on us to also make highly visible the alternative spaces that they also need to know about. And we can do that. So that's sort of the high point of our reminiscing. In the past week or so, we've heard stories of um, a screen collapse at a, a festival site and, you know, some people being extra fatigued at work and just that sort of normal old style chatter. So please be aware that those old hazards as we get back to work are, are all still there. And, and please be careful as, as you get back to work building things and, do, and making making the magic. Yeah, we, we, we have a tendency these days to still be stuck in the COVID rabbit hole for very good reasons. You know, don't, don't let up your guard at this point. There is still danger out there. Um, but in the meantime, as you do get back to work, don't lose sight of the fact that all the old hazards, yeah, they're still there too. So that's why we're talking about awareness and even airing our own occasional differences of perspective because they underscore that we're all getting back together, you know, sometimes with dear friends, sometimes with total strangers who didn't work in the industry 17 months ago. And it's really important for us to use our words correctly to make sure that we take the time to make ourselves clear and understood by the people that we're talking to. And that's going to be another issue that arises from this pandemic is yeah. we're all out of practice, even of communicating simple things with each other. So we have to try extra hard. And you know, that's kind of what Danielle and I are doing here with you <laughs> podcast listeners is, you know, sort of airing a situation where even us, who well, talk we to each other. each other like what? <laughs> right, right. I mean, we talk to each other all the time and yet we still messed up our own communication. So maybe that's the ultimate takeaway from this conversation is not just the substance about active shooters and situational awareness, but also about communication itself. Yep. So this is a good time to review and refresh uh, and redo some of your training that you've done in the past with whomever works for you. Uh, speaking of events happening again, the Event Safety Summit is coming up in December. It's going to be both in-person and virtual. So whichever floats your boat, it, there's an opportunity for you. You can register at eventsafetysummit.com. Uh, you can email us at podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. We would love to hear from you. Check us out on social media. And help other people find our podcast by like, rating, and review us on your podcatcher of choice. All right, Steve, any last words for the road? Um, be safe out there. It's a dangerous world, but it's also great to be out again. Couldn't say it better myself. Stay safe, everybody. Danielle struggles with sports ball. That's going to show up now in the Easter egg, isn't it? <laughs>